Last Sunday morning, we talked about some of the pictures that God put out there, that God established to show what he was doing and how the gospel was presented even at the manger, how the picture was there of what he was going to do through Christ. But for just a couple minutes tonight, because I know we've got our kids and there's a lot to do and we've had a great time of worship, but I just want to focus tonight on that one word that the angels said to the shepherds. Because as we talk through Luke 2, and some of you recite it with your kids or recite it together, we, we say it so easily, but that one word that we just sang about is by far the hardest to experience on an everyday basis. As believers, we know the incredible truth of salvation. We know the reality and the joy of knowing Christ, don't we? And we know that Jesus came to redeem us, and especially at this time of year, we, we get that extra sense of the glory of God, that God would do such a thing, that God would love us and care about us so much to send Christ to die for our sins and to rise again and to redeem us forever. We know all that, but there's that one word that's a little harder to really connect to and to fully feel confident in. If you have a Bible, it's there in Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, share with somebody, get to know them, or just listen along, because I'm going to read, and I just want to read, even though Greg and Lisa just did it, a little bit of the context there to get us to that point of verse 14. So we're going to start in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. We know this well, great passage of Scripture. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, tell me the next word, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace is not something that is really a part of our daily experience. Think about the stress just this week. I'm thinking about the stress just today. My computer caught a virus in the last 36 hours. I could not print, could not save, could not do anything. Finally, the Lord was gracious at 2.50 to save it onto a thumb drive, and then I put it on my wife's computer and her internet wasn't working. I mean, just, and we got here and it wasn't right. Everything that's, that's happened, all the stress getting up to this moment. And if the stores were open tonight, we'd probably be back there, being more stressed. Thank the Lord they're not. Amen? Well, some are, but those people shouldn't be open. Think about the stress that we've endured just this week. But honestly, this week is not really that much different than every week. Next week, maybe a few days off, but there are returns and cleaning up and traveling and family leaving town. And then the week after, it's back to school and back to work. And, and the next break is going to be a long way off. And then in January, we're back into the routine, following the calendar, the appointments and the obligations and everything else that goes with it. And maybe you're even feeling some angst and some anxiety about 
2011 about what lies ahead. And I, I think that's probably well-founded in light of the state of the world. There's no denying that we're in a time of great crisis and turmoil and uneasiness and confusion. Many areas of the world tonight in hostility and in violence and in, and in volatility religiously and politically, primarily the Middle East and the conflict between the Jews and the Palestinians and the fight over Jerusalem, the nuclear situations that are potential in Iran and in South Korea, excuse me, in North Korea. Terrorism continues to shape the landscape of the world and the way we think, and we have to know it's far more spiritual than we would imagine. And then there's the economic collapse and the recession and the, the struggle worldwide with economies. There's tension and hostility and rioting in other parts of the world. Maybe we don't see it very much on the news, but it's out there. And there's distrust and struggle to get by. Then we've got all the poverty that's just unimaginable. And the genocide and the spread of AIDS and disease in Africa. Just over our border, there are major drug wars. People getting killed every day in Mexico, and it's starting to creep into San Diego and El Paso and other parts along the border. Here in the United States, the country is deeply divided. People are stressed. There's conflict. There's anger and skepticism and despair. And those are the, the prevailing emotions of the day. It's not happy and joyful and hopeful and, and, and positive. And I'm, I'm not trying to be a skeptic or a pessimist tonight. That's just the reality of it. There's a great deal of anxiety and fear. And we haven't responded to that by seeking after the Lord. Morally, we're more in decline than we've ever been. Families are broken. Marriage is being redefined. And it's not like there's truth to fall back on because doubt is the prevailing attitude of the day and truth has become subjective. Defined how you want it to be defined. Nothing certain. Few moral absolutes. It, it's hardly shocking, is it, that the spiritual state of our nation is more confused and convoluted than ever. In fact, you even notice it in little things like people not really even saying Merry Christmas anymore. Now it's just Happy Holidays. Or when I checked out of the store today, the girl just said, Have a good day. Like it was, you know, April 12th or something. We've even lost that sense. And isn't it amazing how fast it's happened? There seems to be a kind of a darkness. People are uncomfortable with limiting Christmas just to Jesus Christ. In fact, I read this week that 38% of Americans tell their kids about Santa Claus, but only 28% tell them about the birth of Christ. 50% of millennials, that's 18 to 29, say Christmas is primarily religious, but three and four say most of the things they enjoy about the season have nothing to do with Jesus. Article in USA Today yesterday, they said, blame it on the secularism sweeping the culture. Quote, Christmas is no longer about baby Jesus and the sheep. It's solstice with friends, Saturnalia at the office party. At Thanksgiving you say grace, but at Christmas you take a break and you go on vacation. It's been downgraded on the religious calendar, says the director of the Institute of Study of Secularism in Society and Culture at Trinity College in Connecticut. The article says neither of those who call themselves Christians so clear on the theological dimension of their faith. Last year, the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life found that 52% of Americans say at least some non-Christian faiths can lead to eternal life. 
And we're not making those numbers up. That's not something we're saying to, to provide scare tactics or to be necessarily depressing on such a wonderful night. It, we're just observing and obsessing, uh, assessing the situation. So the fact comes down to it that with all that's going on around us and all the stress and all the anxiety and all, all the things that have to be done, we're rarely at a place of being at peace. I told Randy on Wednesday night when we practiced with the choir that it was interesting that the Lord had led him to that choir song. I'd never heard it before. I'd certainly never sung it before, but now I've practiced it about 65 times and it's burned permanently into my brain. I know that song well, but the, the point is weeks ago, and I told him this, I said weeks ago as I started to think about what to say through the Christmas season, the Lord brought me to that one phrase, on earth, peace. Now, Randy didn't know that. That's the way the Lord leads sometimes. He chose that song. I'd never heard the song. And the song focused on peace. It fit perfectly because that's how the Lord works. The song is very powerful because it starts with a skepticism and a lack of hope that there could be any method of salvation, that God would do such a thing to infuse himself into our life and into our culture and in terms of our need. And it starts with that skepticism like, ah, I can't really be real. And then as the song builds, it comes to the place that there's a triumphant truth that mankind can know peace with God. And what makes this passage, Luke 2, so convincing and persuasive is how certain it is and how non-man-centered it is. Because when you look at every other major world religion, they don't come with this message. Islam, which is now the second largest religion in the world, 1.5 billion Muslims. They say that the word Islam means peace, but it actually means submission. The belief that peace can only be experienced by submitting to Allah. Peace doesn't exist for a Muslim until everybody's converted. And if that means killing people in the cause of God, that's fine. Hindus, which are the third largest religion, a billion people are Hindi. They teach that peace comes from inner harmony, which is having your mind endowed with generosity and goodwill toward others until eventually there's a universal brotherhood. Hinduism says to worship God in the best manner that suits you, with the goal being self-realization, being conscious of yourself, in control of your mind, which supposedly makes you a better person. One PhD scholar at the Hindu University in India says, peace is a perception of truth. Think about that. Peace is the perception of truth. The source of peace is within yourself. It isn't found wandering outside. It remains in one's inner self. Similarly, Buddhism looks inwardly for peace. It says that it comes from the inner destruction of lust, hatred, and delusion, which eliminates suffering. Buddhists believe that you're to find peace within yourself, but that's a problem because I don't know about you, but a lot of us have junk within ourselves. It's like an unfinished basement in there. And if we're trying to find peace inwardly, it's rarely ever going to happen. The Chinese religions, Tao and Confucianism, say that peace comes from being humanistic, a moral life in good contact. The Baha'is teach that peace comes from the spiritual unity of all mankind. Apparently it will be achieved by coming together by an act of collective will and embracing oneness, whatever that means. Judaism, and to some extent, Catholicism teach that peace comes from following God's moral expectations and doing good works. Now look back at the text for a minute. 
Because in Luke 2, the Bible is the only one that teaches that God intervenes, that God is the one that brings peace, that He alone is the answer to sin and death, that He alone is the one who provides redemption to all people, to anybody who believes. And I want you to look at the timing of it because that offering comes before the fact. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We weren't looking for it. Every person that's ever lived, God said, I'm going to be preemptive. I'm going to see your need, and I'm going to come down, and I'm going to reconcile you to myself. The Bible says he reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And that reconciliation is the restoration of the original relationship that mankind had with God before sin took hold and condemned us and controlled us forever. Sin created that eternal separation with no hope of salvation on our own merit, but because of his love and the work of Christ, that restoration is not only possible, it is secured through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2 says that Christ is our peace. He's the one who brings us back to that place of complete peace with the Lord. He's the one who gives us eternal spiritual peace within our hearts. Notice back in verse 14 how that's announced in the angel's praise. They say this peace is to all people. Now there are two ways to read that line. And it's kind of become different over the last decade or two as different translations have come along. I learned it in the King James. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How many grew up with that version? Sure. But the one we hold in our hands, I've got a New American Standard. It says, peace among men with who he's pleased. NIV goes a step further and says, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Both of those concepts are really correct according to the original language because there's essentially two meanings in that phrase. Peace with God is offered to all people. Hear that tonight. Peace with God is offered to all people. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. When Christ came, he came for all. When Christ offered peace, he offered peace to all. When Christ offered salvation, he offered salvation to all. The love and mercy of God is not limited to some. He doesn't discriminate in his offer. Salvation is, though, only through faith in Christ. Anybody can be saved, but you can only be saved through Christ alone. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to anyone who believes, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, it doesn't matter. Any person can be saved. And that brings us to the second intention of the phrase, what the angels praised about. They said without that salvation, you can't experience the peace. So God is pleased because we've received his offer, we've received his gift, we've received his grace, and we've been brought back into right relationship with him. Men and women with whom the Lord is pleased, as it reads in our text, are at peace because they found the joy and satisfaction 
that only comes from knowing Christ. The world's not at peace tonight. It's in turmoil. It's in agony. It's in fear. It's in anxiety. It's in nervousness. It's in, I don't know what comes next, and I wish I did. And that's just thinking about the short term. That's not even thinking about eternity. But God says, you can be at peace. Not just it's quiet and we're staring at the candle and I finally got a rest in the day. That's not what the angels are talking about. The angels are saying in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit, you can be at peace forever. How? Look at the text one more time. Because of verse 12, because of that baby that's wrapped in cloths lying in the manger, because of Emmanuel, God with us. God in flesh providing reconciliation to himself, to any person in the world, peace being offered to all of mankind experienced by those who are redeemed. And let me say it one more time, that peace only comes through Jesus Christ. The prophets a thousand years before said he will be the prince of peace. And of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. Zechariah said he would proclaim peace to the nations. Isaiah said that people walking in darkness would see the great light that would shine on them. That's Luke 2.14, the light of the world coming into darkness to save and bring eternal peace. Be caught by that phrase tonight. On earth, peace. On earth, And all the chaos and all the fear and all the noise, every single person in the world needs and wants the calm assurance of spiritual peace. Peace is the calm confidence and the calm satisfaction that comes from knowing that your soul is secure because you know Emmanuel. It's that inner satisfaction, that inner confidence, that inner assurance that because you've met that baby, because you have met God in flesh, because Christ died for your sins, because Christ rose again, because sin has been removed, because salvation has been secured forever, that your heart doesn't have to be anxious and fearful and in conflict. God has provided and if your heart tonight is not at peace with God, listen to that good news of great joy that's to all people. Hear what the Lord is saying. You will be so grateful and so joyful when you accept his offer to forgive your sins and to free you from sin and death and to reconcile that relationship forever. And I got to tell you tonight, you'll never be at peace until you do, but when you experience it, you'll never turn back. We know that peace, right, believer? We know what a joy that is. I was struck looking as I finished studying by the shepherds, who it says after they saw the baby, they went out and told everybody what they'd seen, and they went back glorifying and praising God. 
for what they had seen and heard, and I want to add what they experienced. That should be the joy of our hearts because we know that peace. We know that confidence. We don't go to bed tonight thinking, I wonder what will happen when I die. I wonder what will happen when the world ends and I face God. I wonder what, what will take place. You don't have to be uncertain. On earth, peace. Father, we thank you tonight for the joy of knowing you. We thank you for the amazing, incredible, unthinkable gift of Jesus Christ. A helpless baby lying in a manger who had all the power of the eternal God within him. And yet he laid it to the side so that he could live among us, fulfill the law, be our sacrificial lamb, die for our sins, and rise again. Lord, there is no peace without that. And we praise you tonight that he is our peace. He's the one who has reconciled us to you. And Father, that he's the light of the world that came into darkness to redeem us and save us. Father, as we light these lights now, we pray our hearts would be warmed with the reality of your salvation and your mercy and your love. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.